Well, hey everyone, good to see you. Good morning, my name is John Alexander. I'm a pastor in a church in Minnesota called Eagle Brook Church. I've been here a few times. I love, love being here. Love being here at Westbridge. I love Jeremiah. I love just being a part of this community. Last weekend, another Alexander spoke. Her name was Jen Alexander. That is my sister-in-law. A couple months ago, my wife spoke, Emily Alexander. So we're just throwing in all the Alexanders that we can find, all right? Jeremiah's just looking for any Alexanders, but uh, really, truly, it's an honor, a privilege to be here. I can promise you I am not as good as Jen and Emily. So I'm just sorry to disappoint you. Um, Let me ask you a question to kick things off. Are you free? Are you free? Are you living free? See, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he is for freedom. We see he was for people, actually, the the type of people the world tends to leave behind. And one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth. And he went into the synagogue, he took the scroll that was handed to him, he unrolled it, and then he read these words, originally from Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 61, and Jesus read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He took the scroll that was handed to him. He rolled it back up. He sat down and then he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what's Jesus saying? That he's the long awaited Messiah sent by God to fulfill this mission. And what's the mission? To let people know that God is for them. Jesus is for the poor. Jesus is for the spiritually lost, but today I wanna zero in on that word we saw, captive. And we're gonna look at how Jesus, Jesus is for the captive. Now a little backstory, the words Jesus read in Luke chapter four were written 700 years prior by this prophet named Isaiah. And it's important to understand the historical context in which Jesus was reading because the word captive had significant meaning to the Israelites. See, throughout much of their history, the Israelites had been held captive by another nation, enslaved in Egypt for 400 years until Moses declared, let my people go. And then they were free for a time until several centuries later, they were conquered by the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires. Then it wasn't long before Rome grew in power and proceeded to rule over Israel at the time that Jesus read these words. So captivity was and is a major part of Israel's history. So when people heard Jesus read these words that captives would be released, they assumed that he meant from Rome's rule, that God was gonna release them just as God had released them from Egypt. Now by comparison, the United States has not been ruled by another nation for 250 years. We live in a democracy. If captivity is what Israel knew, freedom is what Americans know. Unless we've been in prison or kidnapped, captivity might feel like something we don't necessarily need to be released from. But here's the thing. 
While we still believe that Jesus is for those in literal captivity, what Jesus is saying by quoting Isaiah 61 is that he has come to release people from spiritual captivity. He has come to set people free. See, if we put our faith in Christ, many of us have, some of us haven't, but if we have, there's a spiritual freedom that God has given us, a freedom from the bondage of sin. And as a result, we have freedom to enjoy life, to experience love, joy, and peace, regardless of circumstances. But again, how many of us can say that's the kind of life we're living? And I wonder today, is there anything that is keeping you from living free? Is there anything that holds you captive from this kind of life? Uh, For the last several months, uh, well over a year actually, my wife Emily has been saying these words. And I quote, I feel like a prisoner in my own home. Now, before you call the cops on me, please don't. A little backstory, we've lived in our house for almost six years, and first summer we lived there, we found a whole bunch of lizard, salamander creatures in our basement, most dead, some alive. Well, the following few summers, we found more than a handful of frogs, and I know that excites some of you, but Alexanders, we don't like critters, okay? Even frogs and little salamanders. Emily threatened to burn the house down nearly every time she found one. Now, we thought we'd taken care of this critter problem of the things that would enter into our basement when last fall, as I went downstairs to work out where I normally go and just do a little treadmill type of stuff, we found a stray furry animal. So I rushed back upstairs in a panic. I turned to Emily and I said, oh no, the worst thing has happened. Okay, we're also a little dramatic. (laughs) But there's a mole in our basement. Now, turns out it was actually a shrew. Do we have a picture of the shrew? This is what I found on the internet. It's not the actual shrew, okay? No, No shrews were harmed in the taking of that picture. But this shrew was alive and it was in our basement. And she said to me, what are you gonna do about it? I said, what are you gonna do about it? She said, can you call my dad? I was like, no, let's just, let's ask our kids to deal with it, okay? So after our six-year-old, our six-year-old daughter Marley refused, I manned up, okay, don't worry everyone, I manned up, I grabbed rubber gloves, a mask, plenty of those around, garbage bag, and a plastic container. I proceeded to trap this shrew under the plastic container and then covered it with a bag, but I couldn't figure out how to get this shrew from the upside down plastic container to outside without it potentially touching me. And I know some men in here are just, you're so embarrassed by my story, okay? But I don't like critters. 45 minutes later, I manned up and finished the task, okay? So now you can be proud of me. It took 45 minutes later, no big deal. Now we we have Plunkett's pest control on retainer because pests have been a problem, but Emily since then has gone downstairs a total of like four or five times and has threatened to move more times than I can count. As I said, she feels like a prisoner in her own home because she doesn't feel free to go downstairs all because of this shrew. Here's the connection. And here's what I find to be true of many of us. We are spiritually imprisoned 
We are not living free. We are imprisoned in ways that we shouldn't be. Where God has promised freedom, we still live captive. Again, many of us have put our faith in Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. Our eternity is secure. And the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And because of God's Spirit working in us, we now have the capacity to experience the kind of, the kind of love and joy and peace that, that God promises. And yet, many of us don't. So what exactly does spiritual captivity look like? Well, I think, for example, it's the person who's just enduring life rather than enjoying it or embracing it. It's the person who lives in fear of failure, of this, as if God is going to zap us whenever we mess up. It's never allowing faith to drive a decision. Instead, we're held back by, by doubt and question just spinning our wheels. Spiritual captivity is allowing sin to have more power than it should. And maybe for some of us, there's a desire to get rid of that sin, but we, we just can't seem to shake it. Again, in some of our lives, there's just little to no love, little to no peace or joy. We're not living free, we're, we're spiritually captive. It's also possible that some of us have been held captive so long that that we've forgotten what freedom actually feels like. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, an old movie, Red is a prisoner who'd lost hope of a life beyond captivity. But then he becomes friends with another inmate, Andy, who'd been wrongfully accused of murder. And Andy serves as this friend who keeps Red's belief alive that there is a better life beyond the one that he's living. Not to spoil the movie, but if you haven't seen it at this point, that's kind of on you. But when Red is finally released on parole, after having spent 40 years in prison, Red doesn't know how to live free. In fact, once he's free, he contemplates ways to, to take his own life or even find a way to return to prison. This is known as the prisoner mentality. People become so used to being held captive that they no longer know how to live free. And again, I'm going to keep asking this. I wonder today if some of us don't know how to live free. If some of us are living with a prisoner mentality. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Paul writes later in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set you free, free from fear and doubt and discouragement and the power of sin. Again, are you free? Now notice, I didn't say perfect. Uh, no one is going to live this perfectly blissful state. Everyone is going to struggle. Life is difficult. But in the battle over spiritual captivity and freedom, we as followers of Christ have a powerful advantage. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where's the spirit? It's in his followers. God has given each follower of Christ the same spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But too many of us are held captive in ways we should be free, but the Holy Spirit is on our side, helping us find freedom. And so today I wanna get really practical. I wanna talk about four common areas that people, including me, are held captive and how Jesus helps us get free. So if you're taking notes, first thing we're held captive by is, is, is discouragement. As I mentioned earlier, when Jesus read these words from Isaiah 61, the Jews were living as captives in their own country under Roman rule. And they longed for God to show up and release them from captivity as he'd done for them in the past. But it had been a long time since they'd heard from God. In fact, they'd been waiting over 400 years. Think about that. We can't even wait a few days. They've been waiting 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament. There is a 400-year period there. Even though just one page in our Bibles, this is known as the 400 years of silence. No prophetic words, no messages from God, nothing. And so, as you can imagine, they were discouraged. You ever been there? waiting for God to come through, and it, it's been weeks, or months, maybe years. And the longer we feel like God has been silent, the more we start to wonder, well, if God's there at all. And what happens then? We become discouraged. Why keep praying? Why keep showing up to church? Why keep worshiping, keep doing the things that God wants us to do when it, when it doesn't seem like like God's gonna respond. And so discouragement, this unwillingness to keep hope alive, it becomes a bondage that keeps many of us from living free. And I've been there plenty of times. So how are we released? Again, if you're taking notes, it's gratitude. See, one of the ways that Jews kept hope alive was by having this annual celebration called the Passover. And at the Passover, they would remember what God had done for them in the past, how he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt through Moses. And then they'd anticipate a time when a Messiah, a Moses-like person, would rescue them once again. They kept hope alive and overcame their discouragement. And here's the key principle, by remembering what God had already done for them. We all experience feelings of discouragement, me included. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to live encouraged by life. He wants us to enjoy the moments that we have. And we do that by remembering what God has already done for us, by living grateful. I've kept this journal uh, for the last several years. It's, it's called a five-year journal where I can see my thoughts and notes on that date over those five years. I'm on year four. And I love this type of journal because I get to see how God has responded to my prayers. Often I'll just write little notes of things I'm praying for or what I'm grateful for, which is sometimes as simple as having breath in my lungs and a warm bed to sleep in. And I get to see the prayers that God has responded to, prayers I've forgotten I've even prayed and it helps me live grateful. 
And I know that some of you are thinking, John, you, you just don't know how bad my circumstances are. You just don't know. I don't. You may have every right to be discouraged, truly. I'm sorry for that. But there's a reason the Bible is full of people who have overcome the worst of circumstances, including Jesus himself. And one of those reasons is to show us it's possible to still live grateful and full of hope, no matter our circumstances. A friend of mine just recently shared a story of someone in her life that had recently been diagnosed with cancer and how she was overcoming some of her discouragement. She told me it was by being grateful she could simply wake up in the morning and hear birds chirp outside her window. Circumstances might really stink, but take some time this week and list out the things that God has done for you, the smallest of things, the things that you consider good. God wants us to enjoy life. So be released from discouragement and be grateful for what he's given you. Second thing that we're often held captive by is fear. Fear has been an issue in my life for as long as I can remember. Starting back in childhood, I was afraid of almost everything. At the top of the list growing up, I was afraid of sleeping by myself. We lived in a house where the train tracks ran right through our backyard. I mean, just 100 feet or so. I was convinced that someone in the middle of the night was gonna hop off this train because the train would run at all hours of the day. I grew up in Washington State. I don't know why there wasn't any rules about it, but it would just run middle of the night, no big deal. But I was convinced that someone was going to hop off this train and crawl right into my bedroom window. Now, we didn't have air conditioning growing up, so to cool down, we often slept with our bedroom windows open. And I was so afraid of this idea that someone would hop off the train. I didn't sleep by myself till I was like 11 or 12 years old. And some of you parents are like, please God, don't let that happen to my kids, okay? I somehow turned out, but it's kind of a disaster. It's kind of a silly example, I know, but it's so easy to see how some of these seemingly legitimate fears, how they creep into our lives today. For instance, we might live afraid of whether our kids are gonna succeed in life, be functioning healthy adults, if they're gonna grow up to love God or not. We might live afraid of whether our families are gonna stay healthy or whether we have enough to even pay this month's bills. One of the fears I presently wrestle with is this idea that something tragic is just bound to happen to my family. I'll wake up some mornings overcome with this fear that today is the day that someone close to me is gonna receive that diagnosis or our kids get in an accident or just, it happens. I know fear all too well. I do, it's something I have to wrestle down all the time. And God knew humans would struggle with fear, which is why there is some form of fear not commanded and taught by God listed 365 times in the Bible. That's one do not be afraid for every day of the year. God doesn't want us to be held captive by fear. So how are we released? Truth, truth, Jesus says this, if you hold to my teaching, 
You really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth, the truth, not those lies that we believe that make us afraid, but the truth will set you free. What is true? What God says is true. Romans 8, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. What a powerful truth. Romans 8, 28, God works for the good. And there's a qualifier of those who love him. God is working for the good in all situations. What a powerful truth. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you, God says. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. That's what's true. Even if our greatest fears come true, and by the way, they often don't. They're lies that we tend to believe in our mind, but even if they came true, God will be with us. Think about that truth. My health, finances, and my kids, they aren't entirely under my control. We can do what we can, but ultimately, we'd all agree we can't completely control the outcomes of our greatest fears. That's why the closer we draw to God, the more we're released from fear as we are set free by his truth. And so my challenge for you this week, especially if fear is the area that, that you struggle to find freedom, write down Isaiah 43, 2, and read it every day. Because the way we're released from fear is by holding on to what's true. Third thing that many of us are held captive by is, is doubt. Now, I don't know a single person who hasn't experienced doubt, not a single person. And if you think I'm immune to doubt because I'm a pastor, think again. Questions I wrestle with, did God really create the earth and how did that work and why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Why do some people guess the wordle in one try and why do I even care? I barely know a word. It's just like, there are some questions that demand answers. And so I have my doubts, like you. But what I want to focus on is what doubt often causes people to do. You know, it seems more and more the world celebrates people who leave faith because of their doubts. They'll post to social media, write some blog posts, and these people, pastors, leaders, will write how they no longer believe in God the way they once used to. And what I see on these posts, that comment after comment will celebrate their courage for leaving faith. And while I empathize with their doubts, I do. This kind of celebration of walking away because of doubt, it, it pains me to the point of tears. Interestingly enough, Jesus, he actually never affirmed doubt. Now, let me be clear. He loved people despite their doubts. I have my doubts, you have your doubts, and Jesus loves you, he loves me. But he never said, go ahead, keep doubting, and then just walk away. No, actually, what he said to doubting Thomas was, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. 
When the disciple Peter refused to step out of the boat and walk on water, Jesus said, uh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? James writes this, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Again, doubt is common. But how do we not let our doubts hold us captive? How do we find freedom in the midst of our doubts? And it's through faith. See, Thomas got to experience the holes in a resurrected hands of Jesus, but then he died for his faith. Peter chose to believe, then he walked on water. They were released from doubt by acting in faith. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can't see God like we can see each other right now. We can't see heaven. That's why doubt is released by faith, believing in what we cannot see. See, it's important we bring our doubts to God. We talk about them with other people. Don't hide them. What, what the previous generations have done incorrectly is that they've pretended to not have doubts. But what the next generation needs to do is talk about our doubts, not pretend like they don't exist, but instead of walking away, the way we're released from doubt is choosing to trust him in faith. One of the greatest examples of faith I've seen recently was at the funeral of my friend, Eric Witzel. Eric passed away just nine months ago. I coached basketball with him and got to know his family over the years. But at his funeral, with several hundred people attending the funeral, his wife, Ellen, and their three kids all spoke with confidence. Kids who are 16 and 14 and 11. They spoke with confidence that they would see him again. And then in a moment that I'll never forget during one of the worship songs, their family of four, now without their dad, stood and worshiped God. No one else did, but they stood. The song was called, Know You Will. And the song says this, when the road runs dead, you can see a way I don't. It makes no sense, it doesn't. But you say that's what faith is for. Ellen said her daughter, Maggie, who's 16, who could barely walk at the time after having hip surgery just a couple days prior, turned to her mom and said, we have to stand. Despite the murkiness, despite the doubt, they stood in faith. And the Witzels are free. That's what it means to be spiritually free. Now, do you doubt? Join the club. But in the midst of doubt, let's choose faith. Last thing that holds us captive is sin. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation, a life situation where you're like, how did I get here? You know this, but life is a series of choices and decisions and those choices and decisions have consequences, good, good and bad. And as you assess your life right now in this moment, maybe you're wondering, how did I get here? You know, sin does that to us. It might seem fun. It might feel adventurous. It's, it's what feels good at the moment in, at that time. But then, well, at some point we've all wondered, how did I end up here? Here in this web of deceit. 
here stuck in shame, here lost without purpose or life direction, here with no joy. See, the here we find ourselves in is almost, almost always a consequence of sin. In John chapter 8, the religious rule-keeping Pharisees, these really, you know, they, they were actually godly people, but they focused on the wrong things at the wrong time. They caught a woman in the act of adultery, these Pharisees did. And, and they brought the woman to Jesus and held her captive in front of this crowd. And they said, with Jesus in attendance, according to the law of Moses, we have the right to stone her. That's what the religious rules said at the time. And then they turned to Jesus and, and asked, well, what do you say about that? And if you can picture this, this woman who's held captive physically, but also spiritually to sin and, and emotionally to shame, must have been wondering, how did I get here? But Jesus stooped down, he scratched something in the dirt, he stood up again and said this, let the one who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And so the crowd, one by one, just quietly slipped away, realizing that they were sinners too. When all had left except Jesus and the woman, he said to her, go and sin no more. So how are we released from sin? might seem obvious because we're in church, but it's Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, sin no longer holds us captive the way it once used to. Roman, Romans 8 says it this way. Now there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin. Now, let's be clear. Sure, we're still going to mess up. We're still going to fall short. We're still going to sin. But the promise is that sin no longer has the power it once used to when we put our faith in Christ. Sin doesn't control us. We're not held captive to sin. We have the power and the choice to resist. And my question for you is, have you experienced that kind of freedom? A guy I've gotten to know over the years, John Turnipseed, by all accounts, was a bad man. For years, he was a gang leader, a pimp, a drug dealer, and an addict. He terrorized the streets of Minneapolis for four decades and he spent 10 of those years in prison. John experienced captivity in all the ways that life can hold us captive, in the deepest, darkest ways. But throughout his life of crime, there was this youth pastor that kept reaching out to him, telling him about Jesus. His name was Art Erickson. Now this is many decades ago. Art is now 82 years old, just spent some time with him a couple weeks ago. And Art just never gave up on John. But it, in John's life story, it really wasn't until he received a phone call from one of his sons who'd been shot that he realized just how imprisoned he truly was. But since that moment, through God's powerful Holy Spirit, for the last 20 years, John Turnipseed has transformed into a community leader 
pastor, speaker, and he serves as vice president of Urban Ventures. Urban Ventures is a nonprofit that's set in the heart of Minneapolis gang territory that John once used to terrorize. John is a free man who is now living to set other people free. How does that happen? Because of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the grave so that we, friends, can be free. He accomplished what we cannot accomplish on our own freedom from the power of sin. And when sin no longer holds us captive, God expands our capacity to love, to have joy, to experience peace and enjoy life regardless of circumstances. That's that's what freedom looks like. And that's the kind of freedom we are all trending towards. So ask yourself, am I spiritually free? Some of you are not. Some of you are slaves to sin. Sin has knocked you down and rolled you around in it. People may have given up on you and maybe, maybe you've given up on yourself. But hear me say, Jesus came to release the captive and free the oppressed. And that includes you. Jesus has not given up on you. There is a greater power than the one that holds you captive and his name is Jesus. So in the face of discouragement, choose gratitude. Struggling with fear, lean into God's truth. Read Isaiah 43, two every day. Is doubt holding you back? Make a decision this week to step out in faith. But if you're captive to sin, confess it. Allow Jesus to forgive you and be free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to set us free. We know life isn't gonna be perfect. We're gonna face discouragement. We're gonna have fear. We're gonna struggle with doubt. There's gonna be sin in our lives, but God, your son came to set us free. And as every person here is working towards that freedom, experiencing more and more of what you promised, I pray that you would bless them and be with them in that journey. God, that you would teach us all how to live more free, to experience the abundance of life that you have promised for us. We know circumstances can hold us back and there are some people who are experiencing really, really unfortunate circumstances. And I pray that your spirit would show up extra for them, that you would pour out your spirit on them, that you would help them to live free in the midst of struggle. God, again, thank you for sending your son so we can learn how to live free. And for any person who hasn't made that decision to follow you, to be set free from sin, I pray, God, that they would turn to you in the quietness of their heart and mind and surrender their lives to you so that you can set them free. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.